0: Hi, I'm Elisa Gardner, host of Develop Your Character, brought to you by Camp Broadway. We bring you candid conversations with theatre educators, industry experts and insiders, and savvy parents geared toward helping culture-loving kids and aspiring artists become great performers on and off stage at every stage of their lives. Our guest today is Melissa Errico, who established herself as a musical leading lady on Broadway in her early 20s and has since enjoyed success as a recording artist, an actress in plays and films and on television, a cabaret performer and even an essayist for The New York Times. Melissa made her professional debut at age 18 playing Cosette in the first national tour of Les Miserables and not long after that earned her first Broadway role in a musical adaptation of Anna Karenina. Shortly after that, she was cast as none other than Eliza Doolittle in a revival of My Fair Lady, more starring roles followed quickly in High Society. Your poor
1: audience, they're so bored. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just, old. This is going to go on a long. No, time. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just I'll, well. I'll wrap up. More no, no, starring no. roles followed in High Society. A more Dracula the musical, Irving Berlin's White Christmas. Just trying to get all of your oh, you're accomplishments so kind. out there. Uh, she is starred, and this is Ms. and then Brand. there's the crazy parent thing that I also
1: qualify for. Because she's you have the actress, you have the you have the parents. Absolutely. I'm, you know, yeah. I just want to mention you
0: are known for your interpretations of. Stephen Sondheim, which include a number of productions, um, and uh, as well as your album, Sondheim Sublime, which the Wall Street Journal called the best all Sondheim album ever recorded. I only listen to your reviews,
1: I don't know. (laughs) Ah, the Wall Street (laughs) Journal, who are they, right?
0: Uh, And she's received praise for her interpretations of the Oscar-winning composer and jazz artist Michelle Legrand's work. A deluxe edition, in fact, of her album, Legrand Affair, was just released last year and her credits range from off-Broadway stations of Shaw, Oscar Wilde, and Wallace Shawn to TV and film roles that have cast her alongside Kate Mulgrew, Dennis Quaid, and Angelica Jolie to drop just a few names. She served on the board of the National Endowment for the Arts and written for a number of publications. And uh, just so you know, she'll be appearing at an event honoring Michelle Legrand, March 12th, at Lincoln Center Performing Arts Library and offering another Legrand engagement at Feinstein's 54 Below, May 28th through 30th. And of course, as she previously referenced, Michelle is a mom. She, Melissa is a mom. Michelle LeGrand is a French guy that <laughs> Melissa likes to say. Melissa is a mom. She uh-huh. and her husband, the tennis player and sports commentator Patrick McEnroe, have three accomplished young daughters who we're going to get to very shortly. Melissa, thank you for taking time out of your obviously very busy schedule to come and join what us today. What used to be busy. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, no I'm, okay. just, I'm getting dizzy just reading. And a lot of this stuff I should mention, this is all in the span of... You know, not not too long. And um, we want to talk to you a little bit about the spark to get things started. Uh, we asked guests about what initially got them interested in mm. theater. I'm going to take a wild guess, given your glorious voice, and say that it was perhaps that you realized early on you had this gift, although you also danced and did gymnastics. Is, yeah. is that
1: right? Yeah. I don't know that I ever uh, had like a... Uh, today's the day i think i have a gift i i think i was always uh, I, I i you're right i was a hyper kid and i did gymnastics i uh, loved roller skating you remember the white roller skates with the four wheels of course on each shoe so i looked a bit like Sheena Easton in like shorts and you know striped <laughs> knee socks and these skates in Long Island you know kind of doing da da I da da totally down get the that street reference. right okay <laughs> and then I had the Dorothy Hamill haircut at one point I mean just I always had fun you know my mother was fun and um, my father was they're both Italian uh, so I came from a house where kind of ex, uh, you know as long as you were a good student we which was always the foundation. Like, if you don't have straight A's, like, we're not having a good time. We're not going to have a good day. You know, just we had to, you had to do your homework. But then after that, less. my dad used to say he would only spend money on books and lessons. So that was the the first spark was really just what the values are of the house. You have to have an, you have to take care of your education. There's absolutely no slacking off in that. And then keep, my parents seem to have the idea of just expose us to everything fun, whether it was, you know, roller skates, music, gymnastics a gymnastics class, uh, all the dance schools. So I was always um experimenting with uh, with movement and you know, in soccer and uh, you know took track and field. I was just lucky in that way that I got exposed to a lot of things. Um, but there was something like a spark, like what you say. Uh, when I was having my, uh, I think I was turning twelve. it was my it was a birthday. It's funny that I think I was thirteen. I think it was 1983, but um, anyway, I was I was 12 or 13, and I went to see On Your Toes. Someone will know out there. Maybe it was, sure. maybe it was a different year, but um, uh, with Christine Andreas. With Christine Andreas, oh, and one I of my saw. Early heroes. Yeah, she's my hero, and I saw that show, and I, I had never seen anything like it, and I really sat in the chair just like any other person having a eureka moment that you just wish for your own kid. I just looked at that that stage, and I was crying. I was crying and crying, and my mother said, "What, Melissa, are you okay? I said, who are these people? How did they get there? I remember saying those sentences. I couldn't even look. It was so beautiful to me. I think what I loved about it was the jazz. I think I liked that style of singing. It sounded easy and natural. It sw- there was swing in it, and you know, I've thought a lot about it. I think Roger's, I love the, the music, but I think I like the words and the ironies and the blues side of Lawrence Hart. Writing, mm. I never responded to Rodgers and Hammerstein. It was Rodgers and Hart. It was oh, a big really? difference, you know. A very big, very difference. big difference. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's part of uh, rather Rodgers' brilliance that he worked so well with these completely different mm-hmm, lyricists. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I think Lawrence Hart was short, gay, and very troubled. Very troubled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I may have sensed something in the blues. You know, a song like "Glad to Be Unhappy." I was singing that since I was twelve. I was in sixth grade. I would just sit in my room, you know, just singing "Glad to Be Unhappy." You know, fools rush in, but here sure. I am, very glad to be unhappy. And you didn't I know wasn't like unhappy. I just loved <laughs> that kind
0: of uh, blues, you know. So you, you didn't know prior to then that you had this beautiful soprano voice?
1: No, I did not. I, I wasn't a singer. I was a dancer and I was a... I was busy roller skating, like looking like Sheena Easton or something, or, or you know Dorothy Amel. I, I no, I was a, I was a mover. I actually liked to move and dance. And I remember after I saw that play, I did uh, audition for a school musical. I had been in musicals before, but I was always in the back. I was always a dancer, and my mother used to say. One time we were we were told to be like Rockettes and kick equal, and my mother right before the show I was in about fourth grade. This was at my other school before I moved schools in middle school. I, my mother said to me, "Kick the highest," <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a picture of all the kids with their feet, their legs, you know, at the right height, and then my leg right up by my nose <laughs> with this big smile. So she gave me terrible advice. So no, I was in the background screwing things up for the you know for the choreographer. Um, I went to middle school, and I was very lucky to audition for, what was it called, Bye Bye Birdie, and I got the role of Kim, and the 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 rumor about my voice was my mother said that I was singing, and all the parents started looking around the room, like, did you hear that, you know, I don't remember it, I just remember it wasn't hard, It's so it actually got harder later, you know, well, maybe we'll talk about, like, how you get good at something, hmm. but that, there were things that came naturally to me, so in that way, I was very lucky. But I actually had to learn to rebuild and understand what used to come lucky uh, easily to me. And I was lucky to, to have it easy. I have relearned um, what used to be so 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 simple. But so I was I was very much a natural singer, I guess, you know,
0: then. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Which isn't to say
1: that I, I take it for granted or don't get it now. But then it did come flowing. And I just went from show to show to show. By 18, I was playing cosette.
0: And yeah. this little
1: voice was, you know, it was just what I would speak and sing at the same time. Yeah. you know, and because I was a dancer, maybe I was just breathing and open my body. I was like, able to, you know, jump onto stages and just be like, hi, you know, I wasn't shy physically.
0: Yeah. And in fact, you were auditioning pretty early on a little surreptitiously, can we say? Yeah,
1: <laughs> by, yeah, by even, I mean, definitely by high school, I stopped even doing school plays. I started coming into New York for dance classes. And then I would fig. I figured out there was a, this is before there was, never mind cell phones, there was an I don't know. There was no information anywhere. There was backstage newspaper. But you go to the newsstand, and you right. buy, and it had all these little squares in the back, which is all the auditions going around town. And I used to come into New York on the train. I was allowed. I was 13 or 14. I never would let my kids do this now.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I just came in from Long Island, and I went into to, uh, to steps to take class. Of course. And yeah. I would then look at this, you know, and if I would skip a class, because you were taking, you know, you're paying by the hour right you didn't even sign up they didn't know you're in the, it was new york city nobody knew if you're in a class so i would skip it and i would go to some audition you know from backstage uh newspaper. So I went and auditioned for all kinds of weird stuff, all odd commercials, flamenco dance company down on the Lower East Side. I was doing all kinds. I, my idea of rebellion was like auditions, uh-huh. you know, where other kids are like telling stories about like throwing up or something in their backseat of <laughs> someone's car. I was not doing that. I was you know, like sneaking around. Not like, that we're recommending for this things. For, uh, for kids necessarily. No, you must but... never do. I don't, I don't understand. I hope I my kids won't even consider that people say, "Oh, you're heading into preteens. Oh, you're heading into teenagers. Get ready." And I think I don't know. I, I, I'm not. I don't. I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm not watching or something. But I, I never was. Um, I was already interested in the adventure of the arts, you know. And so I wanted to see what was out there. And my, I didn't tell my parents for the, what I was
0: doing all the time, for
1: audition, you know,
0: exploring New York City, you know. But they gave you that foundation, as you just mentioned, of of you know loving learning. Of, they did, and and, and um, of I think uh, we were talking a little bit before this recording about um, accomplishment or achievement. I, uh, why don't you tell us a bit because you have a couple of uh, three, in fact, very accomplished daughters. Uh, one is uh, seems to have uh, inherited her dad's gift for for tennis, and the mm-hmm. other two are dancers. And you encourage them. Tell us, tell us a bit I about totally how you do encourage that. them.
1: Yeah. Um, like I said, if books and lessons was my father's big indulgence, you know, he would always give us lessons. But we never, uh, you know, miss our classes. You know, actually, I mean, I'm making it sound like I was missing classes at steps and being frivolous in that way. I just did that sometimes. It's not like I did that all the time. Well, you wound um, up at
0: Yale, so obviously, I
1: did. <laughs> you and did and I have, well. I did. I did end up. I was a good student. I, I ended up at Yale. But I have some thoughts about. Um, you know, I went. I went to the Yale Drama School, and I dropped out of the Yale Drama School uh, because at that point I had already done um, Les Mis. I had dropped out of college to do Les Mis, and I went back and did college. Um, so I, I am glad I finished college. But I then enrolled in the Yale Drama School, and I got cast in My Fair Lady, and I did drop out of. of of graduate school and I do still wonder if sometimes people like me who were doing so many things and were rushing around a bit maybe I should have stayed in school maybe I should have finished my um uh you know finished a thought you know if I had a three-year program just stay and do the studying um uh one thing that that Pat and I are are often talking about my husband and I talking about with the girls is the difference between um Achievement and accomplishment. Accomplishment is is kind of the satisfaction you get in learning things and um, and the process and the effort that you put into things. And I think the accomplishment, the achievements, you know, the awards, the good parts, the the big highs. I'm not sure if if um, we should focus so much on that. Um, Patrick, as a tennis coach, which he often is, he says, you know, I was thinking I should get kids out there and they should have fun. Get the kids to follow their passion. and Just have fun. Just get them out there having fun. And the more he's been getting kids good, he said, I don't really think it matters if they're having fun. It matters if they're learning. And they really want to get their sk- they, they want to get skills. And when kids get serious and focus on the mastery of something, that sense of accomplishment, not achieving things, not getting the ribbon and the big... But just that ac- the accomplishment of learning. They are happier. And they leave the court happy. And... I I I think focusing on uh, on the the acquiring of skills, you know, is is something that we're you know we we really focus on as a standard in the in, in our house, and and so the girls just don't feel like they have to be famous or fabulous or get something. They just have you learn what do you learn today? You know, oh that's really cool. You're really improving. You've really Mm -hmm. worked hard. I see how hard you worked, you know, and it's really showing, you know, and then they they feel good. It's not so much they become, uh, that they get this part, you know, at the end of the year or that they are superstars at a certain point. So I'm not saying in my case, like I was jumping, I was jumping steps, but, um, I had some breaks young and I may have, I may have, I may have taken some of that, um, that time away from myself to just acquire skills, you Mm -hmm. know, and acquire skills out of the limelight you know, so those are just, that's not a regret as much as a a reconsideration of, 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 you know, my own, um, my own path. And I think if you're, if you have listeners out there who have kids or are educators, you know, if you have a kid who's sort of thinking about going professional or, or seems to be kind of, you know, on a roll, you know, take a deep breath because it might be good to not rush that kid, even if they're very gifted, Hmm. um, very inspired or even being given a great opportunity. Um, you might there might be some building blocks that also give that kid a greater foundation for the next for, for, for later I don't really think we do live in a world where there's only one shot right know? yeah and we're pushing kids you know with this Coco Golf, you know like you know being a great tennis player so so young now everybody's calling my house how can I get my kid to be a great tennis player you know wow. similarly with ballet everybody's pushing their kids they're doing ballet intensives all summer mm. they're doing camp the French woods and just all these achievements you know are being marked so young I think I think so I I think that's what I'm saying is that is pushing for achievements and not the the satisfaction and the accomplishment of learning can maybe catch up to you a little bit you know, and may not make the foundation, may not give you the right foundation both for success and for personal happiness. Yeah. You know, so I mean, these are some ideas.
0: That's a really interesting distinction uh, between those words, which are used interchangeably, but sometimes, but the way you describe it, and, and when I think about it now, you know, accomplishment, an accomplished person is not necessarily somebody who has ribbons to hang on the wall or yeah. trophies. Um, and but it they is, have that inside feeling, yes, that yes, inside yes. sense of knowledge, you know. Yeah.
1: And we're always like, you know, just make sure you follow your you're blessed and make sure you're happy and do yeah. what makes you happy. Well the truth is that that's not necessarily going to work. Yeah. You know? This whole role the role of passion in this whole of the if the the whole pursuit of a cultural life or an actress's life or in a performer's life, a writer's life, you know, it's great passion whatever, but what do you actually have to learn? Like look what you've accomplished. how what did you actually have to learn to learn to write the way you've been writing since forever? There was a lot of f- nuts and bolts I'm still
0: learning. And still I learning. mean, I'm still yeah. looking at people who are much better writers than I am every day. <laughs> oh,
1: I don't know. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void are prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Um, but yeah. um, and and you've also juggled so much in in uh, in your career, so many different uh, aspects: uh, theater, film, TV, writing yourself a uh, cabaret, of course. Um, I always had a lot of interests. That, yeah. That I did. I don't know if that's a good thing or, you know,
1: my own mother is a sculptor and she's always had like four styles and people have been like, Angela, you just got to choose if it's wood or if it's going to be metal or you're going to be working and she works in wax. She's worked with um, all different f- um, materials as a sculptor. Oh. And plenty of times people said, just focus on the on the metals. And then you'll just be, you know, doing iron work and you just you, that's what you do. Yeah. And my mother's like, no, I like. Sometimes I'm off in clay. And, you know, she's doing clay for a whole period. You know, so maybe the eclecticism comes from from a creative mother like that too. But, yeah.
0: so. Well, I know uh, I did want to mention a panel you're going to be on at BroadwayCon, even though it will have already happened mm-hmm, uh, by mm-hmm. the time this this recording uh, this podcast airs. Uh, you say airs. <laughs> For
1: a podcast I think so I yeah, think I so know. I think you're right
0: um it's called making records yes is that actually recording is it about the recording process yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: I mean there's there's a there are, I don't think I'm unique in term in terms of broad a lot of Broadway musical theater performers life is on Broadway not that often you're mm-hmm. you know you're on Broadway and then you're off you're out of work so-called from that aspect of your dream and that thing that's probably the, the uh, gold standard of every uh, musical theater actor's dream is to be on Broadway but there's so much time in between mm-hmm. um, in my case it's been you know many years I've got children I haven't been on Broadway since the twins were born um, I've been off Broadway, so you have the, off, the world of off Broadway, and then you have the world of television and film. Hopefully, Hollywood you, Bowl. You've started major productions yeah, there. Yeah, no, there's regional yeah. theater and yeah. regional appearances like that. There's so much that you can do, but. You, sometimes if you break down your skills, plenty of times the television and film world will call and give you a good part and maybe even a series regular. I did a series regular on CBS at one point, but I've been recurring on different television shows. So that's your acting, but you're not singing. You find yourself in a trailer with a lot of... Um, different um straight actors you know people are playing the policeman or things like that they don't know any they're like they look at you like you've been in a musical you know (laughs) like they're there are these tough people who just go from police part to police role you know and then you're so so you're so you you kind of break down your skills you're like but I'm an actor and even if you're singing you're still acting so I've done that but one thing I have found that's consistent um uh source of creativity when there's, um, nobody hiring you at that moment is making music, making records. You can actually make an album or a cabaret act. Anytime you see, I have a month or I anticipate a quiet month, or I see this time of year, the holidays, someone's asked me to do a holiday show. Oh, that's a creative thing I can do myself, you know? So it's self-initiated work. So that's what, um, uh, you know, I want to share at the Broadway con when they asked me to do that. I thought that's that's great because I've made many albums along the way, and they're they're um, they're their statements. Um, it's if if they're like the musical theater performer or musical person's, you know, uh, small novel or something. It's like yeah. those are like little novels. A whole period of your life, you know, might be encapsulated in one album. Which mine always these albums I've made are always a piece. A, a a chapter of my life so and I think they're great for um singers to get to do because you get to put together your songs make demos bring together musicians you're not at anybody's beck and call you know it's not that expensive to make an album a lot of people can make them in their basements you know um so it's just one of those things I think is another now that there's so much tech and we live in such a, a good and you know rich tech world where so much can be done you can design things yourself you know um, so that's what I'm going to talk with people about is it's just another way to be creative. I think the the one of the important things about being a performing artist is to not let the fallow periods eat you, you know, and make you feel really rotten. I know a lot of people have to work as waiters have to do other jobs, but this is the perfect um, making records is something you can do, you know, around everything, you know, and feel proud of it, you know. <laughs>
0: Well, speaking of being creative and using tech and doing it yourself, DIY, um, you wrote a really interesting piece for The Times several months ago, very well researched and reported about how the auditioning process has has changed and evolved. And you spoke to performers and casting directors. Um, tell us a bit about how these practices have changed just You know, in in the time we have during your years as a performer, I'm sure you have many stories. Yeah, the hard thing about
1: about auditions is that it's a relationship. It's a relationship that's now been kind of outsourced just to half of the relationship. The actor. So the actor is now doing the audition with oneself. You know, it's different than making an album, which you can use tech to express yourself and capture your voice, your ideas, your vision, you know, and, and design it and write, you know, your own liner notes or get someone, you know, you can make a team and so on. It's a little different to use tech for an audition, so I'm a little bit less gung-ho about the idea, though it is very much the reality. There's n- there's no time anymore for casting agents to, to reach out to as many actors as they they want to. They know they can ask 200 people to send in tapes. They might as well. It takes them, you know, the equal amount of time to see maybe 20 people 35 people and they can now get 200 auditions sent to them in the mail they don't have to rent a room have an assistant do anything you know so the way auditions are are run um is just a, has changed so much because the I can't come into the room and meet you know you and I right now though the audience can't see it we're looking at each other we're doing this podcast what if we were doing this podcast you know I don't know, what if you sent me the questions and then I just sent you the answers and then someone put it together to sound like a conversation? It'd be phony, you know? Yeah. So it's a little bit like that with auditions that you can't read the face of the person who wants you to interpret their dream. They want to make this television show, they want to make this musical. Um, what can you bring to it? And then you might do something and they say, you know what, can you start again and try? Think of me as someone you really want to impress. Oh, okay. And then you straighten up and you think, okay, I'm going to put on a little nicer face and I'm trying to press this person. The director have a, has a second to, to respond to you and you to them. And they see how, that can't happen with a self-tape. There's just no shot. You know, you do your best and put your, you know. So the the article I wrote in the New York Times, I went out and I met um, at least 40 actors, but I met about five different casting directors, producers, people of all kinds um, in, in, and ask them what they thought about auditions and how they changed, you know. Some people thought it was really liberating because they don't have to deal with the, anybody and they don't get nervous and they have nobody interfering with their skills because mm-hmm. they get tense. Other people said, I can't, I can't, I can't. if I can't see your face, I can't read what you need and I, I, my, my art doesn't come out, my feelings don't come out. Um, some directors feel they'd rather not have to sweet talk an actor and make them comfortable is such a huge waste of time. Uh, to some people, mm-hmm. it's heartbreaking. It was. I heard a lot of hard talk, you know, and I thought, okay, uh, the business is more like. Um, one of the things I said was that I felt like I was a, like a like an app, you know, like serving anonymous users, you know, just kind of putting myself out there. So um, so sometimes it, it, it was a little disheartening, but also I guess, you know, we're all in the time we're in, so we have to try to see self-taping as, as a, um, something we're taking control of, you know, yeah.
0: putting our best foot forward. Well, we always ask our guests about lessons they've learned. Yeah, you've already addressed some of those as an essayist, um, but maybe elaborate on one or two key things that um, along the way in your years of multitasking? (laughs) Um, Things that I've learned along the way, well,
1: um, God, there's so many, it's hard to know. I think, um, I remember I went up to Marion Seldes, who was a great actress, and I was 12, and my mother saw her in a restaurant and said, go up to her and ask her um, what her advice would be. for you to become an actress. And I was so young, and it meant I'm, this was at a time where I was super inspired, so I did do what she said. And I said, hello, Miss Seldes, um, my parents are over there, and uh, they, I, I just wanted to tell you I'd love to be an actress myself, and what would, what do you think I should do? And she said, live. That was all she said. And I got to know her over the years, and I reminded her of that s- strange and funny exchange. And I think um, that is something I've learned, is that our life, our actual life is is as as important as the art and it's all it's all um, it's all in, it's all inter, it all interreacts all the time. So I'm very glad that I had a family and I'm glad that I've had a life. you know, a lot of people go into the arts and then get very isolated because they stay so focused and the arts become their reference. And the truth is we have to, stay out of the arts to go back into the arts with that information so that's something that just not so much I I had done something wrong and had to learn it but it's just something that over time has become very clear to me that we bring the information of our lives to our art that the it's not it's not your whole life
0: this it's not your home you have a home you know yeah. I was going Is to ask it? if motherhood had informed your work, but you just answered that question beautifully. Oh, it beautifully. has. I love
1: my girls. I, yeah. I do. And I feel like I can't even explain how much I admire them. They're the, it's like you made the people you'd love to know in the world. You know, In my case, I love to spend time with them and they're very inspiring and funny um, and happy. Um, my my brother and I were like family number one, and my, my mom had my sister when I was 12, same father. But my brother and I, um, he knows you. You know him as a yeah, singer-songwriter. Yeah, great singer-songwriter. Yeah, he's a great singer-songwriter. Um, we, we were kind of brought up in, in, a, in a sort of intense way. And it's, you know, I look at my own kids, and I, I realize my brother and I just weren't, like we didn't hang out together. And I don't know why we were like I maybe mean, because he was a boy or something. And I don't we just didn't hang out. We we're friends. We've always been close. But my girl, my my daughters are so tight. It's like a it's like a clan. It's crazy. So I love to see the complicity between them and the laughing and they're wild. They 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 they, hit, they don't hit each other, but they like they mm-hmm. bump into each other or they make jokes or they they touch each other's hair. All this like they're they're hilarious and close, close, close. So. It's very inspiring to see that kind of, you know, physical, loving closeness, you know, that that I was able to nurture. So that really gives me, that jazzes me. It makes me feel good about going out and making connections with other people, you know, seeing their health and their happiness, you know. And I think there was a sort of a separateness between me and my siblings, though we're very close and really a good family. We never had like fun like that. My parents didn't push us together, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the kind of wildness of my house, the closeness—they're like crazy little fairies. Oh. It's very inspiring for me. It makes, and they made—they brought me a lot of joy that I, you know, I might not have had without them. That's, you
0: know? that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'll close with um, since the title and mission of this podcast is develop your character. Um, as a final question, what does character mean to you? Hmm. I wish you'd told me that before.
1: Um, <sighs> No, it's a big question what does character it's funny that's the that's the word that I thought of when I was um, getting married to my husband I remember it's funny people I, I don't I know that's not the question you've asked but I remember saying he has such good character there was something about it. and what would that um, it's like um, uh, awareness of, of everything around you you know for me He's aware. I think I have pretty good character. I think my daughters do, too. I think they're fun and stuff, but they're certainly never going to step on anyone else. They're very conscious of what other people are going through. So um, even if you're, you know, at the grocery store and you're checking out, just be super aware of that person, you know, and what they're going through, the person behind you, the person in front of you, when you get in your car who's jumping into their car? Why, is people, why are people tense? You know, just have good character, which is to respect what's going on around you and be conscious of it and try to, if you're strong and you're sane, use it for good, you know, mm-hmm. use it for good. I think my husband was always like that, very conscious, but he never was selfish and like just, he didn't have his blinders on, like I'm just going to win this tennis match, I'm just going to become a tennis player. We Neither of us were ever like that. We, we always had our eyes... You know, looking all around, that may not have made me the most tunnel vision person in all senses, but I think that's a per- I think I have good character. May not have, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, shelf full of awards, but <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, well, uh, and I married a man of good character, and then the well. children have good character, and you, you know, I, I, I have good <laughs> friends, you know, and uh-huh. I think, and my, what well, I have thought a little bit about the very end of my life, I think I will be most proud of my, well, um, my family, but my uh, women friendships. I have always oh. loved other women and love to see them succeed and be strong. You know, never felt threatened by somebody being, you know, I actually have a lot of different looking friends, but I have a lot of beautiful friends, you know, friends as well. I love seeing them look amazing. I'm not like nasty or whatever, you know. I just yeah. love to see people shine,
0: you know. Oh, that's beautifully good. I do. I love yeah. beauty,
1: you know. I love seeing not well, physical you, you beauty, have but I love in like many pizzazz, respects. you know. Yeah. yeah thank you.
0: Well, that's, that's a lovely answer. Thanks again, Melissa. And, and thanks to all of you who've tuned into this episode of Develop Your Character. We are always looking for listeners' input. So if you have a question or an observation about Melissa, something <laughs> we've discussed with Melissa, or anything <laughs> else you Anything theater, I need to fix, let yeah, me Exactly, know. <laughs> exactly. We have a direct line here. Uh, you can reach us on social media or visit our website. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can leave a review on iTunes or share with your friends on social media. And finally, for more information on Camp Broadway, Broadway's original destination for theater-loving kids, check out our site at campbroadway.com.